coming on stage to that music makes me feel kind of Olympian, you know, like <laughs> I should be lifting weights or something. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. As John said, this is the Outsider Series. This is the last week, in fact, of the Outsider Series. So I get the last word about outsiders. We're actually going to look today at the last words of Christ about outsiders. But before we get there, let me look at, with you at some famous last words from throughout history. See if you can guess who these different people said this as their last words before they died. Some last words are regretful. This man said, I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Now, that might have been the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, right, John? (laughs) Might that be his last words? I don't know. He's still with us, so maybe not. Now, that wasn't actually those are the last words of Leonardo da Vinci, believe it or not. Inventor and artist and no doubt the inventor of the phrase high expectations (laughs) as well, right? He didn't meet his own expectations. Other words, last words are inspiring. I will hear in heaven. Those are the last words of Ludwig von Beethoven, who at the end of his life was totally deaf and could not hear the music he was inventing so others could enjoy. Inspiring last words. Some last words are kind of ironic. Don't worry, men, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. The last words of General John Sedgwick of the Union Army at the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. And moments after he said these words, a Confederate sniper proved him wrong. (laughs) This was the very last thing that this man said. Friends, if you could choose your last words, what would they be? You ever thought about that? Not everybody gets to, of course, but if you could, would your last words be romantic Would they be inspiring? Would they be profound? It's kind of fun to think about. What would you hope you'd get to say with your last breath? You know, like I said, not many people get to choose their last words. Happily, Jesus Christ is not among those people. Jesus could choose his last words, and he did choose his last words. And his last words were neither ironic nor, nor, uh, well, they were inspiring. We'll get to that in a minute. But his last words were stunning and monumental and earth-shattering. The last words of Jesus Christ changed the world and the lives of those who heard them. They should change our world, and they should change our lives. Turn to Acts chapter 1, if you would, in your Bibles. We're going to look at the last words of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus, most people we talk about last words, it's the last words before they died. Jesus, of course, when he died, he wasn't done yet. So his last words weren't before he died. He rose again, as we know. He walked around for 40 days. He kept teaching his disciples in this resurrected body. And the day was coming when he was going to be leaving the planet and going back to heaven from whence he came. And these last words we're looking at are the last words before his ascension to heaven. And his words push his disciples to see the world through new eyes. In a summary, this is the big idea of today's message. Jesus reached across cultural barriers to show His love for all people. All people. And He calls us to do the same. Lord, would You call us to do the same today? Would You inspire us and motivate us and transform us through Your last words, the way You did Your disciples? And would You show us how to serve You better? We are listening. We ask You to speak. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. A fairly well-known passage. One, if you've been around church for a bit, you might have heard before. If you're new to this, great. This might be the first time you hear these words. But I want you to listen closely to the power of these words and the expectations Jesus has of the people who heard them. 
Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That phrase, the kingdom, came up over and over in Christ's teaching. And the people were always waiting. When are you going to fix things? When are you going to make it right? When are you going to improve this world? Because the Romans are still here and you're acting like you're almost done. So they're yearning for the day, looking for the day when Jesus will fix everything. And it doesn't give them the answer they wanted. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He's saying, don't worry about that. (laughs) I got that covered. But here's what I do want you to worry about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And then he gives them a road map. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Friends, what is Jesus saying with his last words? Because in the very next verse, he leaves. In the very next verse, he ascends to heaven. And they're sitting there staring at, what, what, wait, wait, what's going on? Angels have to come down and say to these guys, go do what he said. Okay. He'll, he'll take care of the kingdom. He'll take care of his return. He's coming back. In the meantime, go do what he told you to do. And they set off on what has become a 2,000-year project that began that day. And what was that project? He was saying, take my message to people everywhere. If I was going to summarize this command in one phrase, that's what it would be. Take my message, news about me, to people everywhere. You who follow me, Jesus said, you're going to cross all kinds of lines. Our world is full of lines, isn't it? Sometimes those lines are barriers, but they're everywhere. Some are national borders. And Jesus said, when he said that phrase to the uttermost, to the ends of the earth, he was saying, your life is going to change radically. You who love me and follow me, you are going to cross national borders to accomplish my task. You're going to cross language differences. You'll find yourself speaking languages you don't understand. You're going to find yourself going to places where everyone around you sounds funny and you don't get them and they don't get you. But that's okay. That's part of the task. I don't want you to settle for the life you've had so far around people who look like you and sound like you and think like you. That's no longer an option. He says you're going to cross lines of cultural differences. Some of you who hear my words right now, Jesus said, are going to find yourself in places where no one's ever heard of me before. When they think of the word God, they add an S to it. And they have all kinds of gods. And they live on Mount Olympus. Or they live in weird places. And they do odd things. And the picture you have of me is nothing like the picture they have of whoever they think I am. And you're going to find yourself in places where they do things and think things that will just blow your mind because it's so different from what you're used to. You'll be among people who've never heard of the moral code I have given to my people. You'll be among people who mock that kind of morality. And you'll be exposed to things you never dreamed you would see firsthand because the cultural gap between you and the people I'm sending you to is huge. But Jesus said, that's my task. Now, they're going to be crossing all these different lines. And keep in mind, some of those lines are designed to keep us safe, aren't they? It's kind of safe to be around people who think like we do. It's easier to communicate. You don't misunderstand each other so much. When I say the word God and other people think what I think, okay, when when people eat what I'm used to eating, when people say things I understand, that's safe. 
And Jesus says, safety is done. That's not your priority anymore. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes also. So Jesus is saying to these simple men, I have a job for you. It's going to take a long time to accomplish, and it is daunting. It is global in scale. And I want us to recognize the recipients who received this task from the mouth of Jesus himself, right before he left. His last words, take news of me all over the world. Who were these men who received it? Let's talk about their life experience. (coughs) These were simple men, friends. Nothing fancy about them. They were fishermen. They were tradesmen. They weren't even significant politically or religiously in their own country. And Jesus says, you are the ones. You are the witnesses. You are the people who will take news of me around the world. You're not seen as very great stuff even around people who know you. But you're going to go to people who've never heard of you before. And you will be my representatives. These guys hadn't traveled much in their lives. Chances are, the longest trip they'd ever taken was from Galilee to Jerusalem. A space of about 90 miles. The distance, friends, from here to Phoenix. That's the furthest they'd ever gone. And Jesus drops the whole world in their lap. He says, the ends of the earth is your task. Your mission field, disciples. You're going to represent me all over this globe. Think about what these guys must have been experiencing. They they didn't have the background. They didn't have... And travel in the day was on foot or on sea. They couldn't hop into an airplane. They couldn't drive a car an hour and a half to Phoenix. No, they would have walked to Phoenix. 90 miles. And if they had to go further, they, they could get on a boat, but that's dangerous. There were dangerous roads. People died doing what Jesus just told these men to do. They died all the time. So friends, the life experience of these disciples did not prepare them for this task. If you and I had been part of a committee to help Jesus find the team that was going to take on this role, we would not have chosen these guys. Not only that, they had a a cultural context that was working against them. Let's look at a map. You like maps? I'm the map guy, right? Okay, we got got a lot of maps today. If you like maps, you're going to be happy. This is Israel in the day of Jesus. Okay, there really were only two pockets that were sort of okay in the eyes of most people. There's the blue rectangle down here and the blue rectangle up there. This is Judea. This is where Jerusalem is. This is kind of the hub, the central, uh, the, the zone of really true, faithful, religious people in the day. That was okay. That was safe. Up here in Galilee... It was okay, too. They were kind of looked down on a little bit by people down here. Galilee was a little too open, a little too cosmopolitan, a little too compromised in some ways. But they were still okay. Between those two sections was a big, long, oblong oval called Samaria. Samaria was full of people who, according to folks who lived here and here, were sort of half-breeds, sort of in-between Because centuries earlier, that area of Israel had been conquered, destroyed, wiped out. The people had been dragged away and others had been brought in with a different language and different religion. So their descendants were kind of in between. And then scattered around the edges in these red ovals were people who were descendants of folks who in in Israel's history were pretty problematic. Descendants of the Philistines and the Moabites and the Ammonites and all these people, nations who'd caused trouble in Israel's past, and they were still hanging around. They're called Canaanites at the time. 
And then over this whole thing, of course, was the big boot of Rome that was stomping all these people and oppressing them and crucifying them and making life miserable for them. That was the cultural context of the men who got this command. And when you live in a place like this, you tend to create us's and them's really fast. The us's are people like me, people who think like me and talk like me, people who know God like I do. They're good people. We like to be around the us's. And the others, they're the them's. They're the guys across the line, the wrong side of the tracks, the people we tolerate because they're nearby, but if we have a choice, no, no, we don't really care about them. And of course, the Romans, whoa, they're the worst of all. That's the cultural context of these men, but there's a historical context that's even more significant. And, and this is huge for the life of any Israelite in the first century. I want to come back with me to the founder of the nation of Israel, a man named Abraham. Abraham lived over here, and he was called by God to move over here. And he stopped there and put down his roots and began to settle. And when we look at the rest of the history of the region in which he settled, we can see it's a pretty rough neighborhood. You see, right around the corner is the big nation of Egypt. They would be a problem for the people of Israel over the years. Not too far on the other side was a nation named Assyria. The Assyrians would one day come and wipe out that section of Israel I just mentioned that created the Samaritans. They were looming on the horizon. After the Assyrians is a group called the Babylonians. A couple of hundred years after the Assyrians invade Israel, the Babylonians are going to invade. And they're going to put an end to everything, knock down the walls and destroy the temple. After the Babylonians, as if they weren't enough, the Greeks were going to rise up. And between the Old and New Testament, the Greek army comes marching through. And of course, in the day of Jesus, the Romans had taken over the entire region. It's not a very safe neighborhood, friends. The place where God said, Abraham, stop here, was not a high-rent district. My daughter just moved to Phoenix. And I found out, this is kind of cool, you can go on a website. If you want to move into a certain neighborhood, you can check the crime stats for that neighborhood. That's kind of cool. But wouldn't it be better if you could find out what crime was going to happen in the future of that neighborhood? What if you could look ahead in time and say, okay, there's going to be all kinds of issues, don't live there. We can do that with Abraham. I watch him in Genesis 12, I see him settling here, and because we know the rest, I want to yell at him, Abraham, renegotiate, dude. Don't stop there. It's a bad neighborhood. Hold out for Ireland. Go there. It's safe. There's a moat all the way around it. There's redheaded people who like to dance, okay? The food is kind of lousy, but that's okay because it's a really good... If you want to be safe, go there. Friends, if God's highest priority was for His people to be safe, He chose poorly. He put them in a very dangerous neighborhood. But God does nothing poorly, right? So He must have had a reason. He didn't choose the best place for them to be safe. But He did choose the best place for them to be influential. At the intersection of three continents, Europe... Asia, Africa, at a place that was fought over and nations coming and going so his people could influence all those nations. Egypt was influenced when God freed the Israelites and the whole Red Sea miracle was done so Egypt would know there's a God in Israel. Jonah went to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and preached a primitive gospel. Daniel and his friends went to Babylon and changed the life of the king of Babylon. 
And of course, eventually, the Apostle Paul would say, there are believers in Caesar's household. How cool is that? If God wanted his people to have influence, he chose perfectly. If he wanted them to have safety, they'd have been here. Could it be, friends, that we worry too much about our safety and not enough about our influence? Could it be that we hope God's priorities match ours? I want to be safe. I want my family to be safe. That's my priority. Lord, you should want what I want. Whereas God says, no, you should want what I want. And what I want is my people to be placed where they can impact others of other cultures. People who don't care about them and don't know them, but will be touched by them. God went out of his way to make clear that was his goal and that should be ours as well. So friends, those disciples who heard his famous last words of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, is another passage that refers to that same idea. They had a challenge in front of them. First off, they had to develop a heart like God's heart for the people of all cultures because it didn't come naturally, neither in history nor in the day of Christ. They had to develop a heart like God's heart. They had to see it, first of all. They had to see that God cared about them, but not just about them. And sure enough, all through the Bible, God gives glimpses of that heart. When he told Abraham where to stop, to put down roots there on the eastern shore of the, of the Mediterranean, God said to him, I'm going to bless you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, it's about you, but it's not just about you. It's about your family, but not just about your family. I've got a heart, God said, for all the nations of the earth. Psalm 46.10 is one of the favorite psalms of the Old Testament. Songs have been written. Poems have been written. Some of you, if you know the psalms well, might be able to quote this phrase with me. It says, be still and what? Know that I am God. We always stop there. You know what the next sentence says? I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. To be still and know that I am God is not just for us. It's for the whole world. God couldn't make it clearer. He couldn't make it plainer. And so the people of God throughout the centuries have had to say, what is God about and how can I be about what He is about? So God in the Old Testament gives these glimpses of his heart, not just for his people, but for the whole world. Those who aren't yet his people, but could be. And Jesus gave some of that same glimpse. Remember I told you he lived in that region with all these different people around him, and he was supposed to hate a lot of them. That was the expectation on any Israelite living in his day. Jesus was supposed to hate the Samaritans like everybody else did. But he walked across that center of the map. He stopped and talked to a Samaritan woman at a well in John chapter 4. The disciples came back and said, Lord, what are you doing? We don't do this. Jesus said, I do. Jesus wanted to tell a story where a guy was beaten up and left by the side of the road. And in his story, he had to cast a hero. Who's going to play the hero role? A Samaritan. One of the bad guys. One of the black hat guys. The guy he was supposed to hate. If Jesus had a PR man that day, he was in the back of the crowd going, facepalm, Jesus, no. You're not going to win any followers by 
rattling cages and ruffling feathers like this. Why make the Samaritan the hero? Because Jesus said, I don't think like you. And I want you to think like me. He didn't play the game. He refused to play the game. He was supposed to hate the Canaanites, all those red oblongs, the leftover descendants of the Philistines and the, the bad guys. But he healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. He was supposed to really hate the Romans. Wow, were they ever black hat guys. Come on, Jesus, play with us here. Look what they do. They're going to kill you one day. You're supposed to hate them. But Jesus praised the faith of a Roman general. said, I've never seen any faith in all of Israel like the faith of this man. And healed his daughter from a distance. And Jesus asked a tax collector, a man who collected money for the hated Romans, to be part of his team. Jesus didn't play the game. He, we look at Jesus, we see the same glimpse, not just for the people of Israel who already knew God, but for the people all around who didn't. Culturally different people. Jesus cared about them. And then the disciples had to cultivate a heart like his. What the disciples learned and was brought to a head on that mountain in Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus doesn't let us continue to be who we have been. That's not an option for people who love him. Up to now, I've only cared about some people like me. Jesus doesn't let me continue doing that. Up to now, I've only cared about people who talk like me, who speak my language. Jesus said, that's not enough anymore. Up till now, I've only cared about people who think like me and value what I value and agree with me about the most important things. And Jesus said, those days are done. I'm asking more of you now. And because they understood, because they got it, because they grasped it, they changed the world. You and I are here today because they got it, friends. Because remember when he says, go to the ends of the earth? Guess where the ends of the earth are from Jerusalem? Right here. We live at the ends of the earth. When Jesus said that sentence. And people listened. And people got it. And people cared. And people sacrificed. And people passed on the news. And people said, I'm not going to let national borders stop me. I'm not going to let language problems stop me. I'm not going to let cultural differences stop me. I've got a message from the God of the universe. And the whole world needs to hear it. And that's my job. Because they listened, we're here. And friends, a question for us as we think about outsiders is how are we going to do on that same task? Because now it's our turn. Because now we hear those last words of Jesus. Because now we recognize that Jesus cares about outsiders, cultural outsiders in ways maybe we didn't realize before. Now it's our turn. Question. Do you want to change the world? You're in the right place. You're following the right Lord if you do. But it's not automatic. It doesn't happen all by itself. We have to go through the same process the disciples did. Because we have the same tendencies they did, don't we? To care about people who look like us. And think like us. To set up our little safe tribes. To value safety over influence. To care more about people who look like us than people who don't. To care more about people who live near us than people who live far away. 
we all, that's how we're wired. And that's okay to recognize it. But sooner or later, if you want to take on this task Jesus gave to His church 2,000 years ago, a task that isn't done yet, something has to change. Friends, do you want to fill heaven with people who aren't yet in? There's a vacancy sign on heaven, friends. All the seats aren't taken. If they were, we'd be done and Jesus would come back. But there's still room. And some of the people who God wants to save look like us and talk like us and think like us. But most of them don't. Because most of the world doesn't. And he made it clear that he cares about that whole world. So friends, you and I, at our turn, have to ask, can we see the world through God's eyes? And are we ready to see people who aren't like us through God's eyes? We have to see God's heart in our day. And then we have to cultivate a heart like His. Because once we see His heart, it kind of makes us cringe a little bit. Because we're kind of tribal. We do like to hang out in the safe zone. We like to be around people who don't challenge us. We like to be understood. And we like to understand. And crossing those lines demands something of us. And and we have to recognize, oh, I'm not like Jesus there yet. That's okay. (laughs) I'm not like Jesus in a lot of ways. It's not bad to notice it, but it's a shame to notice it and do nothing about it. So once we notice it, we have to say, Lord, change me. I don't want you to be like me. I want to be like you. So Lord, transform me, change me. Give me a heart for those people that you have. Give me a heart for people who are not like me, people who are cultural outsiders, because I want to live like you did, Jesus. I don't want to play the game, the expectations of people around me who expect me to hate certain people, expect me to be indifferent to others. You resisted that in your day, Lord. Help me to resist it in mine. And then once we pray that prayer and and let the Spirit start to transform us, then we have got to be bold enough to take some steps. Following the example of Jesus... We need to intentionally reach out to cultural outsiders. Can I suggest a few ways? Can I be bold enough (laughs) to suggest a few? Can I be bold enough to suggest that we reach across political divisions? Friends, I've never seen our country as politically tribalized as it is right now. I've never seen so much bitterness in the discussions. Several years ago, I pretty much stopped posting anything political on my social media. Not so much because I was worried about pushback from those who disagree. It's because I was tired of being embarrassed by those who agree. I was tired of the harsh edges and the mockery and the name-calling. What if we Christians were the ones who took firm positions, and I'm not saying water down what we believe is best, but what if we were the ones who listened and showed respect? What if we were the ones who people knew, you know, it's okay to talk to this woman or this guy about sensitive topics because I know I'm I'm going to be heard and not going to have a hand grenade thrown at me verbally. What if we were the ones who were different? What if we didn't play the game being played by people around us? Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to reach across cultural barriers? By that I mean we're surrounded by people, maybe in our neighborhoods, They don't look like us or think like us or talk like us. I have an Indian family across the street from my house. Prescott probably has less of that than other places I've lived, frankly. 
I come from Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, cultural melting pot. And there's probably less of that opportunity here than elsewhere. But when the opportunity shows itself, why, don't, why aren't we the ones who say, God loves that family. What if he wants me to? <laughs> the answer is yes. And what if, if God wants that person to hear about Christ, that co-worker who, yeah, our life experiences are so different. But I wonder what God's expectation of me is as a witness of his. Friends, there are opportunities there if we're open to them. And then lastly, are we ready to reach across international borders? Because yes, the task isn't done yet. The same ends of the earth that Jesus put in the laps of the disciples are in our laps as well. And you are part of a church that takes that very, very seriously. You're part of a church through our hands and feet ministry that is ready to send people all over the globe to make Jesus famous, to take what we know and make it known elsewhere. Some of them are going out for a week or two at a time. Some of them are going longer term and we've adopted them. Our our church is working now to prepare to become the kind of church that sends you long term with a one-way ticket to places that need to hear about Jesus. And if that's tugging on your heart, we want to become the kind of church that says, good, I want to help you get there. Why? Because Jesus wants us to turn cultural outsiders into spiritual insiders. He wants us to cross lines and knock down barriers and say, it's worth me going to you and you and you and who knows where to talk about Jesus. And when those people there bow the knee to Him and become one of us, then we know they will be with us around the throne of God as described in Revelation. that says there will be people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The job isn't done yet. And it's ours. Are we ready to grab it? He's ready. And it's going to happen whether we get involved or not. (laughs) The only question is, do we get to be part of it? I hope we will. And I want you to pray with me right now that we will. Lord, thank you for making insiders out of us. We don't talk like you. We don't think like you. We don't look like you. And you cross lines and you inspired people to cross lines to come to us and to make us yours Lord Jesus would you help us to imitate you and to model you to think like you and act like you to represent you faithfully in a world that needs so desperately to know and love the God that we know and the God that we love Lord would you find among us people who will reach out to our neighbor Reach out to the country next door and reach out to people in the nation halfway around the world. Because you are worth loving, you are worth serving, and you are worth taking risks for. Would you make us the people who say yes to all of that? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.